The Impeachment Witch Hunt with Greg Jarrett. Americans have suffered through two agonizing weeks of House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff's misbegotten impeachment obsession. Stretched over the course of five days, 12 witnesses testified in total. These hearings have revealed a common and consistent thread. None of the witnesses have provided any direct evidence that President Trump committed an impeachable act. None. Instead, they've offered an endless stream of hearsay, opinion, and speculation. The accusation that Trump pressured the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, into a quid pro quo in which U.S. military aid was contingent upon an investigation of former Vice President Joe Biden and his son Hunter is completely unsupported by the evidence presented. It is found absolutely nowhere in the transcript of the July 25th telephone conversation between Trump and Zelensky, nor was it presented by any of the witnesses called by Adam Schiff. So let's walk ourselves through what the main witnesses said, coupled with a closing argument for why this entire impeachment charade should be dismissed. Day one, the first two witnesses had no firsthand knowledge of Trump's decision to temporarily hold back nearly $400 million in military aid to Ukraine, nor did they have any direct discussion with President Trump about his intent. In fact, the witnesses did not even listen in on the Trump-Zelensky telephone conversation. To describe them as remote or irrelevant or immaterial witnesses is a colossal understatement. But this didn't stop them from offering their interpretations and their conjecture. William Taylor, the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, testified it was his understanding that there was a link between U.S. security assistance and an investigation of Joe Biden. So how in the world did Taylor arrive at his opinion? Well, he heard it through discussions with other diplomats, although there's no indication that any of these individuals had primary knowledge of anything. So the chain of hearsay went something like this. U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland told National Security Council official Tim Morrison, who in turn told Taylor that there was a purported quid pro quo. So think about that. What is that? That is triple hearsay. Or as Taylor told the Intelligence Committee, quote, my understanding is only coming from people that I talked to. Taylor did admit that he had three meetings with President Zelensky after the Trump-Zelensky telephone call. And he said the subject of an alleged quid pro quo of financial aid in exchange for investigations never, not once, came up. So what is that? It is strong and compelling evidence that no quid pro quo ever existed. George Kent was up next, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State. He testified that he believed there was a quid pro quo. After speaking to Taylor, who spoke to Morrison, who heard it from Sondland, that is quadruple hearsay. 
Importantly, the original source for both Kent and Taylor was Sondland. So where did Sondland get it? He got it from no one at all. He testified he presumed it. More on that coming up. But the point is this. Neither Kent nor Taylor have ever met or spoken with President Trump. They simply propagated and repeated speculation built on multiple hearsay. Together, these two guys represent the chattering class that traffics in gossip and supposition in their diplomatic echo chamber. In fact, in a court of law, Kent and Taylor would never even be allowed to testify. Yet they were invited by Schiff to ruminate about a conversation to which they were not privy, even though Taylor readily conceded, quote, I don't know what President Trump was thinking about the Ukrainians. Kent, in fact, was more direct. He admitted this, quote, I think in the vacuum of an explanation, people started speculating. (laughs) No kidding. Day two, Marie Yovanovitch, the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, took center stage in the second day of the hearings. She had no knowledge of the supposed quid pro quo because she'd been fired a full two months before the Trump-Zelensky telephone call. This prompted the ranking committee member Devin Nunes of California to quip, I'm not exactly sure what the ambassador is doing here today. That was a good point. But that did not stop Democrats from asking Yovanovitch to tender her opinion of the conversation and her innermost feelings at being described by Trump in a rather unflattering light. So right on cue, she lamented that she was shocked and devastated by it all. Democrats seized upon what they called the smear of Yovanovitch as evidence of some larger scheme involving bribery that would constitute an impeachable offense. This was tortured logic at best. Bribery is, you know, probably a more marketable way of describing a quid pro quo, which was Adam Schiff's obvious intent. A reported focus group told him so. But if there's no evidence of a quid pro quo, there can be no evidence of bribery. The chairman, a former prosecutor, should know that. But during the hearing, he seemed utterly oblivious to the obvious deduction. Schiff did manage to fabricate, though, the most memorable, if not amusing, moment of the day when he read out loud a critical comment of Yovanovitch that was tweeted by Trump during the hearing. He then invited the witness to bemoan that she felt, oh, intimidated. This produced an immediate and predictable charge by the chairman that the president was guilty of witness intimidation, which would surely constitute, he said, an article of impeachment. I'm terribly sorry to break it to you, Mr. Schiff. It is not witness intimidation for someone to publicly invoke his First Amendment right to free speech in defense of himself against what he perceives to be A false accusation. Day three. Ah, yes, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a 
pompous and pretentious staffer on the National Security Council. He was the featured witness of the day. After scolding Nunes for not addressing him by his army rank, Vindman testified he felt concerned about Trump's conversation with Zelensky. As with witnesses before him, this was nothing more than his gratuitous opinion. Vindman was not lacking in hubris, but he seemed convinced that he was in charge of U.S. foreign policy, not the president. Even though he confessed he'd never so much as met President Trump, the National Security Council's staffer bragged in his deposition, get this, you're going to want to write this down, quote, I'm the director for Ukraine. I'm responsible for Ukraine. I'm the most knowledgeable. I'm the authority for Ukraine, for the National Security Council and the White House. In other words, in his mind, how dare the president of the United States not automatically defer to an unelected subordinate employee on all matters of foreign relations? Vindman, you see, had prepared some of the materials and talking points in advance for Trump to use if he wanted in his telephone call with Zelensky. And when Trump did not follow the staffer's script, Vindman became offended. He got mad. So Vindman grumbled about it to others, including the fake whistleblower or an intermediary who then fed it to the fake whistleblower is nothing more than a confidential informant who was spying on the president. Vindman's insubordination and leak set in motion the chain of events that led to the present impeachment inquiry. Tim Morrison was up next. He served as Vindman's boss, and frankly, he could barely contain his contempt for Vindman actually calling into question his judgment. But for his part, Morrison testified that he had no concern whatsoever about Trump's conversation with Zelensky. He said there was nothing improper, but he did fear that Democrats would politicize the telephone call. Quote, my fears have been realized. Morrison emphasized that Ukraine did not even know that financial aid had been temporarily halted until weeks after the telephone call, discrediting the notion of a quid pro quo. If the recipient of a quid is unaware of the quo, it is legally impossible for there to be a quid pro quo. Morrison confirmed that President Trump's reluctance to hand over almost $400 million in assistance was based on his overriding concern that the money would be squandered by corrupt government officials in Ukraine. Which brings us to Kurt Volker, the former U.S. special envoy to Ukraine. Volker reiterated that Ukraine was unaware of the hold on aid, and he told the committee he was, quote, never involved in anything I consider to be bribery or quid pro quo. When asked if President Trump ever said he was not going to allow aid to go to Ukraine unless there were investigations of the Bidens or meddling in the 2016 election, Volcker replied, no, he did not. The aid was delivered 
and there was no investigation. Day four, Gordon Sondland, ambassador to the European Union. He was touted by the Democrats as their star witness who would implicate Trump in all manner of impeachable offenses. Guess what? The opposite occurred. Sondland acknowledged that the president kept repeating to him over and over and over again that there was no quid pro quo. Quoting Trump, the ambassador testified that the president said, I want nothing, I want nothing, I want no quid pro quo. That essentially thrust a dagger into the heart of the Democrats' hopes of some damning indictment of Trump. Sondland made it abundantly clear that he never heard from the president that U.S. financial support was conditioned on an announcement of investigations. Indeed, no one ever told Sondland that. More than a dozen times, he said he merely presumed it. At one point, he called it a guess. The most penetrating exchange came during a withering cross-examination by Representative Mike Turner of Ohio. Here it is. Turner, so you really have no testimony today that ties President Trump to a scheme to withhold aid from Ukraine in exchange for these investigations. Sondland, other than my presumption, Turner, which is nothing. After that exchange, Sondland seemed to melt. And with it, Adam Schiff's certitude that he had finally found a witness who would feed his insatiable desire to evict the president from the Oval Office. Day 5. After Gordon Sondland's self-immolation, the fifth day of the two-week-long impeachment saga was anticlimactic. David Holmes testified. He's an official at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine. He claimed believe it or not, that he overheard portions of a telephone conversation between President Trump and Sondland on July 26, just one day after the Trump-Zelensky telephone call. So by eavesdropping, David Holmes said that he formed the impression that the hold on U.S. security assistance to Ukraine was likely intended to nudge Ukraine into investigating the Bidens. So what is that? It's a supposition. Beyond that supposition, Holmes had no other knowledge to support his opinion. He admitted he had no real idea why the aid was withheld or whether Ukrainian officials even knew that it was temporarily halted. Unbelievably, Holmes relied on various news reports and accounts from other witnesses rather than his own independent knowledge, which was conspicuously scant. He was an eyewitness to almost nothing, but an earwitness to only part of a telephone conversation he overheard in a loud and busy restaurant. Like Yovanovitch before her, Fiona Hill testified. She's a former National Security Council official who left her position before the Trump-Zelensky conversation ever took place. She had no firsthand knowledge of it or why U.S. military assistance to Ukraine was temporarily delayed. Indeed, 
she was totally unaware of the telephone call until it became public. Thus, Hill was a superfluous witness who added nothing to the central issue. So those were the witnesses. Fox News has been informed that Democrats will be focusing on several specific articles of impeachment. One of them is bribery. Yet, as John Ratcliffe of Texas pointed out, not a single witness ever used the term bribery to describe President Trump's conduct. To the contrary, most of the witnesses aggressively refuted any knowledge or evidence of bribery. Since bribery necessarily requires a quid pro quo, where is the reliable or verifiable evidence of any of that in the testimony of the dozen witnesses who testified? Many of the witnesses simply speculated. None offered proof. The best evidence is still the Trump-Zelensky telephone conversation itself, and the transcript shows there is no demand, threat, condition, or pressure by Trump for a quid pro quo. And in fact, this is corroborated by Zelensky himself, who's on record repudiating the alleged quid pro quo. The second impeachment article may be contempt of Congress, including witness intimidation. But that is clearly defined under law as a physical threat to a witness, bribing a witness or coercing a witness to lie. As noted earlier, a president, or anyone for that matter, is entitled to defend himself in a public statement or a tweet. So there is no witness intimidation. Another article of impeachment may be obstruction of justice and or contempt of Congress for not providing documents or failing to produce witnesses to the Intelligence Committee. That is just plain silly. Invoking executive privilege or other communication privileges is neither obstruction nor impeachable contempt. The president is permitted by law to exercise legally recognized privileges. As my colleague Andrew McCarthy, a former federal prosecutor, explained, quote, when a person asserts a privilege recognized by law, we don't call that obstruction of justice. We call that the law in action. So if Adam Schiff cares to challenge that right or privilege, he can do so in federal court. In truth, the most egregious acts of obstruction have been committed by Adam Schiff. He continues to hide the identity of the fake whistleblower without statutory authority. He refuses to apply the standards of fundamental fairness and due process to his impeachment proceedings. By contorting the impeachment clause, Schiff has consistently demonstrated contempt for the Constitution. His Republican adversaries certainly have plenty of contempt for the way he has mishandled this impeachment charade. I'm Greg Jarrett. I hope you'll check out my new book, Witch Hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. And for more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcasts.com and make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. 
Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.